0: You're listening to Oh No Lick Class.
1: Mostly dead authors. Fresh takes.
0: Ruining required reading, one book at a time.
2: Okay, I want to tell you guys a story about a band called Nirvana. You probably know this story already, but whatever. They were a good band, man, a really good band. They had this awesome third album, lost them a lot of fans. They had this great track on it called Tourette's that went... But to doesn't really work over these chords. Anyway, I've totally lost my train of thought.
0: Hello and welcome to Ono oh Lit Class, the podcast that found an ancient cursed tome in the back of an antique shop and is now trapped in the never-ending story. Shout out to uh, Sarah at Creature 11 for sending us that and uh, like 50 other absolute club bangers of opening lines. Thank you, Sarah. I'm Megan.
1: I'm taller than Napoleon, also known as RJ. God, I hate you so much.
0: You want to let our guest say Hi.
1: Hi. How's it
2: going? I'm going. By the way, I'm just going to say now that I'm going to be trying to interrupt across the Atlantic. So that's going to be difficult. But my name is Matt Johnson. I'm a musician. I release music and stories under the name The Narcissist Cookbook. And I'm really looking forward to absolutely destroying the legacy of one of my favorite childhood books with you guys
0: (laughs) hell yeah that's what we do here on Ono lit class we take you know celebrated story to works of literature we go so it's it's gonna be awesome so thank you for coming on um
1: gracias
0: yes please please check out the narcissist cookbook on spotify or wherever you get your music that's where i found you and it's awesome
2: yeah sorry i i don't have a a a social media footprint at all if you go on facebook you can find me by looking up the narcissist cookbook i'm on Spotify. I'm on Bandcamp, and that's it. It's the only way of getting in touch with me. I don't understand Twitter.
0: Short of just you know coming to his house and banging on his front door and demanding he play music,
2: that's the only thing I really respond to. You know, I'm trying. I'm trying to get that that realism back into the music industry. I'm trying to get that direct contact.
0: Oh yeah, definitely. It's so impersonal now. And so speaking speaking of personal, you've come on the show today to talk about a a book that is I know is extremely personal to you. And you wanna tell us what that is?
2: Uh, yeah, we're gonna be talking about The Line The Witch and the Wardrobe by C. S. Lewis, which is a book from my childhood that I've been really nervous about going back to and reevaluating as an adult because it was one of my core myths as a kid, one of my like core personal myths. Do you understand? Like you know, like the the difference between like cultural myths and personal myths. Uh, like this was one of the books that defined how I how I see the world, and I'm not entirely sure I'm emotionally ready to have that way I see the world turn completely inside out. But let's
1: do it.
0: We'll be gentle, right? <laughs> right, RJ.
1: Oh, th- this raises a different issue, Meg. Why don't we going to do the book that speaks to me? If you change- say the
0: art of the deal, I swear to God, <laughs> I will kick you in the dick.
1: So the book that changed how I looked at the world. You see, I thought I was the only one who did it. But then I read Everybody Poops and I realized everyone else does it too. And that it's okay. It's natural. So what, all
2: that time you were just like, what's wrong with me? What's
1: wrong with me? <laughs> Why does God make me make sin poops in the oh toilet? my god. What did I do to make you angry, God? And then I found out we're all sinners and we all do it. You know, I've never read the book. Is that the message of the book? Is is it another Christian
2: parable? It's like we're all sinners. This is the <laughs> sin.
0: Everyone poops. No one is exempt from sin.
2: God has abandoned her creation.
1: This uh <laughs>
0: Oh, no, this is not bode well. Um... I haven't
1: read the Bible. Did they talk about that with Adam and Eve, like where the shithole was?
0: I have no idea. <laughs> like where in Eden also... was it, you poop? We've established that neither of us have read the Bible. In fact, religious friend of the show, Joe, of Life, Death, and Taxonomy, when I told him we were doing this, this book was already very upset because every time we say something about the Bible and we do it wrong, he texts me when he listens and goes, no, nope.
1: All right, so for people in the know... Please at uh, oh no with class pod and let us know where Adam and Eve pooped no. in Eden.
0: <laughs> Don't add us about anything else that we say on the episode. Just where Adam and Eve pooped.
1: Yeah, was it by the actual apple tree? Is that like the fertilizer? This is important, Lord. Nobody talks about this.
0: It's true, yeah, that we know of.
2: Yeah, I'm looking forward to our follow up podcast just on this topic.
0: As as we will will have to do. So, by the Witch of the Wardrobe, was very important to you. RJ, you've never read this.
1: (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) I'm trying to figure out who Jesus is. My bet's on the wardrobe.
0: Stay tuned and find out. I don't
1: think it's the witch. (laughs) i suppose i should
2: give a bit of context for because i I, we chatted about this beforehand but like i am the only person on the podcast today that has a vague history with christianity like i was raised incredibly atheist in a very liberal household and therefore rebelled by becoming very hardline christian for about three or four years in my life (laughs) And the propaganda of the Narnia series laid the the, the groundwork for, for me becoming a terrible Christian. But uh yeah, so that was that was that was how it had a very real impact on my life. No longer a Christian not an atheist but you
1: know as we will find out that means c.s lewis and his aim worked at least for one man.
2: <laughs>
0: yes. what one kid slash teen in the midst of of rebellion because that's what you gotta do it's like oh my parents are so chill and also atheist what can i possibly do <laughs> oh my dad was rebel?
2: furious he was so angry at me he would have been so pleased if i jo- if i joined a punk band if i joined a motorbike g- gang <laughs> like he would have been so proud of me but uh <laughs>
0: yeah so thank god someone's here to to help out the, the two atheist Jews, at least as a passing college <laughs> of Christianity. So I don't think we ever read the book in school. I know we watched the 1979 animated movie because it was weirdly animated because the 70s, so it always kind of stuck with me.
2: I loved the animated movie. It's so bizarre. It's so... I tried to rewatch it. It's so
0: yeah. wonky. We'll we'll save that for um, adaptations. And then, yes, yeah, some someone... Gave me like the the Chronicles of Narnia like omnibus, and I say someone because I have no idea who because it would not have been my family. It was some random, you know, maybe like a, an aunt or some like friend of the family who was just like, "Well, what do we what do we know about Megan? She likes to read." And so the, at like nine or so, they're just like, "Here, this is like eight books in one really big book."
1: So I'll be honest with the uh, listeners out there. Usually, at least, I go out of my way and. Read up on these books a little bit. So I have a working knowledge. I didn't do that for this one, and said all I know about this book are movie trailers and that experience if it's at Disney or uh, Universal, whichever one has. Oh, the where little... you just
0: like walk through the building and it shows you like a clip, and then it goes, "Here's some outfits." <laughs>
1: yeah,
0: <laughs> yeah, I think that's at Universal, or at least it used to be. I don't know if it is anymore. Yeah, so you got you got nothing. Oh. I
1: know there's the lion. <laughs> Apparently, there's a witch. I've never actually seen the witch. I've seen the wardrobe. <laughs> And then then the I know wardrobe was on books. display, yeah. There's more books because there's more movies. Yes, you, you are correct.
0: But yeah, when I was a kid, I, I did not get any of the, the allegorical uh, Christian themes and whatnot because I didn't have a context for it The anyway. guy dies and
1: comes back to life. There's only one other person that does that. I
0: was nine. It wasn't until I went back, you know, it was just like, oh, the lion was
1: Jesus. <laughs> so I, so I got to stop here because I don't know. One is the lion Jewish. Bigger question: <laughs> Is the I'm circumcised?
0: You know, it's never explicitly stated he could be wearing a yarmulke. The whole
1: time. <laughs> We're getting
2: into some like, some, some like J.K. Rowling territory now. Of like, you know, I didn't mention it in the text, but
0: <laughs> it wasn't important to the. It wasn't key to the Pevensey's journey, but Aslan was uncircumcised. <laughs> <laughs> Before this could get any more horrible, why don't you why don't you tell us about C S Lewis? Oh, day? he's not Jewish. Really?
1: He had some Jewish kids though. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah. Okay, there you all know. right,
0: I wasn't ready for that.
1: Clive Staples Lewis was born november 29th, eighteen ninety eight, and died november twenty second, nineteen sixty
0: three.
1: <laughs> Staples. Uh, he was a man of three first names. I guess. I Wait, mean, what? that
0: was Staples' first name. I mean,
1: Staples could be a first name if you wanted. Well, Staples James, what? for example, or Stape Curry. Are these real people?
0: No, he's inserting Staple <laughs> into, into basketball player names.
1: Staples Rodman? Why basketball players? <laughs> or how about just Stape? severus staples i think it works <laughs> <laughs> so anyway Les staples was born in belfast ireland to a father who also had three first names albert james lewis
0: okay at least those are actual first names
1: <laughs> to be fair his mom had three first names also florence augusta hamilton i'm not sure what's going on with this family but they really hated last names do you know someone with the first name hamilton now that could be a first name hams Hammy,
0: you're just flying by the seat of your pants here.
1: It works as a first name, it could work as a last name, also, but it also works as a first name. I never appreciated
2: how thoroughly researched this this was. I'm really
1: (laughs) 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 all right. Let's see, let's find someone with the first name. Yeah, Yeah, let's let's let's, This should uh, take a second.
0: Please, please get back to see us. No, no, no. I'm looking for
1: famous people with the first name Hamilton.
0: I thought you were going to say I'm looking for famous people with the first name Staples.
2: From now on, my stage name is Hamilton Staples. You heard it here first. Hamilton Staples.
0: Hamilton Staples actually sounds like a pretty good stage name, though. I'm not going to (laughs) lie.
1: also there's a cat named hamilton he's six years old hamilton the hipster i'm not sure what his deal is
0: and we may never know he is
1: a feline who became an internet sensation for his mustache print he's appeared in several newspapers tv news and popular memes
0: i'm so sorry
1: wait i gotta see who this cat is Hamilton. no
0: no one can see the cat this is an audio medium
1: oh you can put it on twitter oh there he is Look at him.
0: Oh, it's because his face has a little mustache here. Hold it up to the... How am I going to... Let Matt see. (laughs) Oh, no. (laughs) (laughs) All right, fine, guys. Google Hamilton the hipster. He's got a cute little kitty stash. It's very adorable. Let's move on.
1: (laughs) All right. When Le Staples is a wee little dram of a lad, he changed his name to Jaxie, which is a bit of a departure from Clive. I'll ask you, Meg. Do you have any guesses as to why?
0: Because he thought Clive sounded lame?
1: I actually know why he changed his name to Jaxi. I bet you know. I don't think Megan knows. I like putting Megan on the spot. Well, we know
0: know that I I rarely know anything about the authors we we do. I I do the book bit. Here, Matt, why did you change his name? No, no.
1: We have to apologize to Clive Owen. Awesome name. (laughs) Uh,
2: I'm just gonna I'm gonna take it just a stab in the dark and say like maybe he had a dog that was called Jaxi that he bonded with more than any other human being on the planet and then the dog was hit and killed by a car and then he decided that he was Jaxi and he was he would only be referred to as Jaxi for the rest of his life and he stuck to it for so long that they called him Jack
1: forever yeah nailed it perfect the only thing you left good, out... good
0: stab in the dark.
1: <laughs> the only thing you left out is that Jaxie went to heaven because all dogs go to heaven.
0: So this was a literal, actual Indiana Jones situation.
1: Yeah. Oh, shit. I hadn't made
2: that connection, yeah. Hamilton Staples, <laughs> Indiana Jones. Of, uh, it's the new Indiana Jones.
1: Yep. Now, I do have to throw out there. I actually share a similar tale of woe, you see. I owned a capuchin monkey named RJ. No, you did not. And he died saving me from a fire.
0: That did not happen.
1: I figured if he couldn't live on... At least his name could. Here's to you, RJ. You magical capuchin who saved me.
2: What was the RJ short for? Was it Ramilton Japles? I, <laughs> I'm st- <laughs> I'm stuck on this.
0: Yes, yes. That is Ono oh Licklass canon now. RJ is short for Ramelton <laughs> Japles. <laughs> that is an official part of the lore
1: it's true i would lay on the couch and say ramilton come over here feed me some grapes and he would and i I kept him in a little diaper
0: don't don't keep exotic pets if anything if anyone has learned anything from recent episodes
1: don't keep exotic pets well capuchin monkeys aren't exotic pets they're just like little people little furry people
0: (laughs) tell us more about clive Jaxie staples lewis
1: so as a child, Le Staples was really into anthropomorphic animals. Yeah, we got another furry on our hands.
0: Oh, yeah, undoubtedly.
1: Not that there's anything wrong with that. He was really into shit like uh, Beatrix Potter's Peter Rabbit. Le Staples took to writing and animating his own animal stories. Oh, it's cute. After all, the internet hadn't been invented yet. It's true. The uh, Staples grew up being taught by in-house tutors. Given his parents were of means, it should be no surprise that they had an extensive library which allowed the Staples... To get into all sorts of stories and read to his heart's content. Things changed though when he was nine, however. His mom died of cancer. His dad, I guess not being his biggest fan, told the Staples to dry those tears, there's no crying for dead mommies, and that it was time to be the man of the house and send him off to boarding school. No more posh tutors for you, because they gave mom cancer, I guess. (laughs)
0: <laughs> by, by that logic
1: i mean it's weird like mom dies and dad immediately goes yeah you know what time for you to go to boarding school kid
0: well yeah because dad was probably like well i don't know what to do with
1: this kid it's a funny story about the school he was sent off to it was almost immediately shuttered and the principal robert oldie Capron was institutionalized for being psychotic
0: oh my god
1: so good job on picking that school dad <laughs> well staples bounced around from school to school after that During this time, he became an atheist, deciding no god worth praying to would have given him the life that he had. So fuck the whole business of gods. Someone's
0: going to clip that audio and take it out of context. (laughs) So in
1: 1916, at the age of 18, Le Staples received a scholarship to Oxford. While generally this would be a good thing, two things kind of ruined the experience for him. First, the the
0: professor of Oxford went psychotic.
1: (laughs) Oh, that's Tolkien, and he kind of did. So first I'll quote the man himself, quote, No Englishman will be able to understand my impressions of England. The strange English accents with which I was surrounded seemed like voices of demons. But but what was worse was the English landscape. I have made up the quarrel since, but the moment I conceived a hatred for England, which took many years to heal.
0: It's intense.
1: Didn't like it. Beyond that, though, his timing really sucked, as he was almost immediately sent off to France to fight in World War I on behalf of Great Britain. I doubt I need to go in depth about the whole world war world, the whole World War One thing, as we've mentioned it before, and it sucked. It was trench warfare. It
0: was a bad time.
1: Basically, it was fighting for four years over maybe a hundred yards of land. There was a good documentary about the war from the British perspective that just came out, named "They Shall Not Grow Old," directed by Peter Jackson. I say it's worth a watch for those interested. As for Lewis's service, he was actually sent to the front lines on his 19th birthday. Oh my goodness. Happy birthday. Oh no. During the service, he was injured by friendly fire. A British projectile fell short of its target and landing on Lewis and his compatriots. Two of Lewis's colleagues died as a result and Lewis himself was injured. He fell into a depressive state as the result. He was also homesick. (laughs) Oh, and and he
0: was also just home A fucking, like, mortar shell fell on him and killed, you know, some of his friends. But he was also, he just really wanted to go
1: home. So, once he recovered, he was moved back and stationed back in England. Shortly thereafter, he took up his studies again. Not really liking England, either the people or the place, and being a proud Irish lad, it isn't very surprising that he dug into studying Irish languages and Irish mythology. In fact, one of his favorite writers who did the same thing was just a bit older than Lewis, that being William Butler Yeats. Lewis said of Yates, quote, I'm often surprised to find how utterly ignored Yeats is among men I have met. Perhaps his appeal is purely Irish. If so, then thank the gods that I am Irish. This is not unlike John Denver, who thank God for also being from a country. Maybe even Ireland, too.
0: Wait. What John Denver songs? Thank God I'm a country boy. Yeah. (laughs) Wow. All right. (laughs) Sorry to
2: gang up on you with John Denver nerdisms, but.
1: I'm Look, not sure what country I know, he's from. I
0: know one John Denver song, and it's the one about West Virginia. <laughs>
1: Historians and biographers claim that Les Staples turned to the church, specifically his ecumenical brand of Christianity, as a way for him to feel closer to his Irish roots and Irish people he met while in England. While he was an atheist through most of his early life, after meeting some guy named J.R.R. R. Tolkien, Les Staples reconsidered the religious thing. Now, Tolkien was Catholic and was very much hurt when Les Staples chose not Catholicism.
0: <laughs> they had a fun, weird friendship thing where each one hated everything the other did, <laughs> but they were still bros.
1: <laughs> Turning to religion actually did a good job of making Lewis feel connected to those around him. He continued to seek out other Irish people and return to Northern Ireland whenever he could. Now, one Irish person he sought out was Jane Moore. Jane was the mother of Edward Paddy Moore, Patty had been Le Staples' roommate in the army, and the two made a pact. If one were to die, the other would care for the other's family. Well, as fate would have it, Patty died, and so Lestaples kept his end of the bargain. Him and Jane actually got along famously. She was 26 years older than him, and their relationship was complicated Mm. so when los staples returned injured and was in the hospital his father never visited him because i guess dad was still over this kid after mom seems
0: like a dick
1: well you were defending dad earlier well
0: no i wasn't defending dad you were saying why would he do that i was saying because he probably doesn't know how to raise his fucking kid so he sent him away
1: jane on the other hand this other guy's mom visited him on the reg the two of them eventually wound up living together, and biographers are split on the fact that the two of them took a train to Bonetown. <laughs> In the words of the famous Lewis
2: biographers, <laughs> Train to Bone Town, <laughs> question mark? <laughs> now, question
0: mark. Train to Bone Town is actually the name of my Bob Dylan cover album.
1: <laughs> <laughs> so one biographer said, quote, Were they lovers? Owen oh, Barfield, who knew Jack well into the 1920s, once said that he thought the likelihood was 50-50. Although she was 26 years older than Jack, she was still a handsome woman, and he was certainly infatuated with her, end quote. And while the two never shared a bedroom, apparently they shared adjoining bedrooms, which shared a door. Oh. Oh. Now, if you remember, Le Staples lost his mom early in life, and he referred to Jane as mother. So maybe he saw her as a mother figure... Or maybe he went to the Mike Pence school of oddly fetishizing your wife and lover. (laughs) So I've been thinking about this recently. We don't need to take this detour,
2: but it seems like society sort of accepting the sort of daddy sex thing. It feels, it still feels strange to hear mummy used sexually. In fact, I immediately want this stricken from the record. Never mind. I don't want these words coming out of my mouth on tape. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no, 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 because now now think about it, it's true. Everybody on the internet uh, will come out and be like, ooh, looking daddy AF. But if someone was like, mm, she looking mommy AF, everyone would be like, gross, what is wrong with you?
1: Well, we call them MILFs. <laughs> Prince got away
2: with it. You now that I think about it, Prince got away with it. He kept, uh, He kept using terms like mama a lot, and yeah, I guess you can get away with it. If you're a prince, you can get away with fucking anything. If, if, if you're a prince, ex- yeah,
0: exactly. Prince kid.
1: And if you're our vice president, you just call her mother.
0: Uh, I, I like the idea that you know his mom died really young, and then her son died, and maybe it was just like a a, a sweet replacement mom son thing, or maybe they took the train to Bone Town. I don't know.
1: Yeah, nowadays most biographers seem to agree, <laughs> he fucked Patty's mom. <laughs> ah! I say good for everyone.
0: Patty's mom has got it going on.
1: Later in life, when Jane began to suffer from dementia and was moved into a nursing home, Staples was said to have visited her every day until she died. No word if they made a bond for him to fuck her mom, too.
0: God damn it.
1: Megan, if anything ever happens to you.
0: (laughs) You are not allowed to bone my mom.
1: You didn't say anything about your dad. (laughs) I'm a witness to this contracting. (laughs) (laughs) So, C.S. did not marry until he was 59 years old. He married a woman named Joy Davidman. This was not exactly the most romantic of marriages or relationships. The two were intellectual matches who corresponded on a regular basis. David Men, who was a Jewish American who converted to Christianity later in life, was going to be kicked out of Britain, but Lewis decided to marry her in a civil ceremony so she can stay. CS's brother said of the couple, quote, For Jack, the attraction was, at first, undoubtedly intellectual. Joy was the only woman whom he had met, who had a brain which matched his own suppleness in width of interest and in analytical grasp, and above all, in humor and a sense of fun. Joy had two children from a previous marriage. The two were actually only married for four years before she died of cancer, oh my but gosh. CS continued to care for the children for the rest of his life. He never did have any children of his own. However, actually a bit earlier in his life, when he was in his early 40s, when World War II broke out, he did house child refugees who fled from continental Europe, and only being 40 at the time, he initially attempted to enlist to help the war effort. He offered to train new recruits. His offer was turned down. Instead, he was asked to work in what was functionally a propaganda office, and he turned that down, not wanting to lie for a living. What he did wind up doing is speak on religious programs on the BBC on a regular basis to try and make the world not seem as bleak as it was. The air marshal at the time said of Lewis's efforts, quote, The war, the whole of life, everything tended to seem pointless. We needed, many of us, a key to the meaning of the universe. Lewis provided just that. After the war, he was to be knighted by King George VI. But he was refute, or rather, but he refused the honor as he felt it was too political, and he didn't want to dabble in politics. Towards the end of his life, C.S. suffered from kidney disease, which is what eventually killed him in 1963 at the age of 64. His death was mostly ignored, not because people didn't care. He was actually really well known at the time. He was way better known than Tolkien, and his voice, after all, was pretty well known because of the talks that he did on the BBC during World War II. Much like how he had bad timing earlier in life. He had some bad timing in death. He died the same day uh, Aldous Huxley died, which was also the same day JFK was shot from 70 different angles by 89 different bullets down in Texas. Apparently all three. That's a
0: hell of a day.
1: Yeah, apparently all three of them died within about an hour of each other. Huh. Yeah, it was a heavy news day. Also, weird note, CS's brother died about eight years later and was buried in the same grave. If they weren't close in life, they sure are in death.
0: Yeah, did you even mention his his brother prior to that moment?
1: He had a brother. I quoted the brother about their relationship with the uh, Jewish woman Uh, and the Jewish kids.
0: And they're buried in the same grave. That is a bit weird.
1: Do you want to be buried in the same hole with your brother? You can (laughs) meme at each other for eternity.
0: Yeah, that does sound about right, actually.
1: (laughs) Now, if you get buried in the same grave with someone, do you want to be face-to-face? Do you want to like, be front to back? Or you want to be 69-ing? Yeah, do you want to yeah, be 69 oh,
0: I was going to say, you got to do it Wuthering Heights style, ass to ass. Ass <laughs> nice
1: to ass. Oh, well, who's the one facing down?
0: <laughs> uh, Heathcliff.
1: Moving on. Uh, by the end of his life, he had taught at Oxford for nearly 30 years, where he got to know that guy named Tolkien. He inspired a generation of people, teaching by day, writing and publishing by night. It's a gig a lot of people would like to have. He's best known for his Space Trilogy, his chronicles of Narnia. And as much as we mention the Pilgrim's Progress, CS wrote The Pilgrim's Regress, which was a twentieth century response to the original text.
0: Is it just like the pilgrims go go home?
1: Well, basically talking about where we went wrong.
0: Ah uh, I clearly don't know what the pilgrim's progress is about.
1: That we didn't keep making the progress.
0: <laughs> oh, we stopped progressing. <laughs> that, that,
1: well, you know, there was World War One, World War Two, a uh, man had erred of it. Along the way.
0: Somewhere at some point, we kind of fucked up a bit.
1: (laughs) Uh, The Pilgrim's regress is not nearly as big as the original, but I think he's going to be just okay despite the shortcoming of that text. I don't know if you've got it in there, but he's also pretty famous for doing a lot of Christian
2: apologetic literature. He did a book called The Screwtape Letters, which is letters from one demon to another demon talking about how to tempt humanity away from Christ or something like that. I don't know. It's interesting stuff.
0: I know of it. I know it's like pretty famous and it's like stage adaptation.
1: Oh, I didn't even know they'd done a stage, ad- stage adaptation of it. And it's one of the sticking points between him and Tolkien.
0: There are, there are many of those.
1: <laughs> oh, it was mostly religious based.
0: No, they hated each other's fiction too.
1: I don't know if that's true.
0: <laughs> well, maybe hated is a strong word, but they definitely like made fun of each other.
1: Yeah, but all the biographers say if it wasn't for the other, the other one would have never published.
0: Oh yeah, like they were they were actual friends, but they would do stuff where like Tolkien would be like, Hey, hey, you know that living tree that I wrote who's grouchy all the time and no one likes him? That's you. That's the Clive tree. <laughs> they,
2: they they thrived off of
1: the hatred for each other.
0: They did. It made it made the other one more powerful.
1: Those had to be interesting faculty meetings in Oxford. Oh, I'm sure. And then being a student, you could have both of them at the same time.
0: I mean, we we talked about on um what was it the Beowulf episode that Tolkien was a scary professor and people did not like to get him because he would open most classes by screaming in Old English at <laughs> his students. What was it?
1: Listen, listen. Yeah, I that... think it was listen. Listen
0: in Old English. <laughs> woof-en. Yeah, woofen. woof-en. woof-en. Yep, woof-en. that's it. Huffer. Huffer.
1: Huffer.
0: Falafel.
1: Falafel. (laughs) We did it. We could talk about how the kids that he adopted. So the mom was Jewish who changed to Christianity and one of those Jews for Jesus kind of people. Right. The kids, to rebel against C.S. Lewis and mom, became like Orthodox Jew. Ah.
2: It's just a long line of weird teenage rebellion.
0: Hey everybody, it's Megan. It'd be kind of weird at this point if it was someone else, I suppose. Maybe one day it will be, just, just as a goof, just to keep you on your toes, you know. But it is Megan coming at you from, well, the same room I'm always coming at you from. Maybe I should come at you from a different room also, who knows. Anyway, just stopping in here real quick to let you know that this episode is brought to you in part by our amazing, beautiful, wonderful, radiant glowing patrons i I don't know why they're they're glowing maybe they shimmer in the sunlight like like them twilight vampires do and the newest of those wonderful sparkling folks include daniel stephanie and myrta so thank you guys this episode's pod pal is not a podcast i mean it's a podcaster matt hawker of the matt hawker show who has been on a bonus uh study break Uh, which you can go back and listen to. We put it out publicly in December. It's called I Literally Can't Even. It isn't for his podcast, though. It's for a board game that he put together called Composition, which is a really cool, like, word-based board game that totally kicks Scrabble's ass, and like, look, let's face it, if you're listening to this show, you're kind of a nerd, you're a nerd, it, it, It's just accept it, embrace it, love it, you'll probably get a kick out of this this game, you'll probably enjoy it, so uh, I'm gonna let Matt tell you about it, and then I'll put a link in the summary in the show notes, and you can help bring it to life, you can make it to reality, you're so powerful.
2: Hello there, my name is Matthew Hawker, creator of the game Composition. In composition, you'll be taking the role of a unique maestro such as Owl, Rex, Ink, Sun, Imp, and more. You'll be using these maestros to build words as you spell your way to create the greatest performance of all time. So ready your baton and join me on Kickstarter now as we try to make this game a reality. I can't do this without you and I need all the help I can get. Which means you, of course, the most helpful person of all. So, fellow maestro, let us begin.
0: Now, without further ado, it's time to step through the wardrobe and begin our adventure. Yeah. So the
1: wardrobe is Jesus. Yes, the wardrobe is Jesus. So we're going through Jesus. Jesus, take the wheel. <laughs>
0: <laughs> if not him, somebody, please. the The whimsical story of talking animals and and magical lands opens as you would expect in in the the, the terrifying hellscape of war with the Pevensey siblings: Peter, Susan, Edmund, and Lucy.
1: That's so a Star Wars
0: descending by age. War. Yes, war.
1: Thanks, George Lucas.
0: They, they, they get them. That's episode two, I think. They're, they're sent away out of London to, to stay out in the country with the professor. He probably has a name. I forgot already because they mostly are just like, oh, hey, the professor. Moyarty. Oh, no. I'm going to do a whole bunch of squeaky child bad british accents that please do
2: oh it's not it's not pevensey i think pevensey's the name of the kids oh no
0: yeah the kids are pevensey
2: i can't remember what the professor's called
0: for all intents and purposes he's the professor it doesn't matter he's in the story for 10 seconds he matters in other stories but not this one so here's a rundown on the kids for you rj who just you know got no idea and also any listeners who are not familiar is uh, peter is the no fun dad one And uh, Susan is the bossy mom one. Edmund is the moody little shithead who sells out his siblings for candy. Yeah. But we'll get there. And, and Lucy, I guess, is, is just sort of, like, pure, pure of heart, but also really kind of dumb in in the, like, has absolutely no sense of self-preservation kind of way.
2: <laughs> yeah, no, she just she just lets the adventure take her wherever it's going to go, even when certain death is the only place it's going. I guess this was before <laughs> a Stranger Danger.
0: Yeah, seriously, because, yeah, she's just like, I'm on board no matter what in that train of thought. So one, uh, one rainy day fairly early into their stay with the professor, The kids find a room that has nothing but a giant wardrobe inside of it Which is kind of weird And so they all continue on Except Lucy Who opens the wardrobe and finds a bunch of fur coats And is just like, I need to stand in this I need to get (laughs) all up in this fur (laughs) I mean, she's a little kid It could be like a a sensory kind of thing Yeah, it's like a tactile thing It's like, the the textures, the textures (laughs) The
2: textures
0: And uh, so she climbs inside and starts walking And walking because this thing doesn't seem to have a back and this doesn't particularly worry her and neither does popping out the other side to like a snow covered forest and, and so as an aside like I know the wardrobe and stuff are explained in in the other stories about why the professor has it and how it came to be and things like that but I haven't read them in in over 15 years so I don't remember so so this professor you know if you're just reading the line the witch of the wardrobe it seems like this professor just has this magical wardrobe sitting in his house to tempt wayward children into walking into it and potentially dying in another world like <laughs>
2: you you think he put a
0: lock on
2: it yeah you think you would lock the door you think you would i don't know put it in a shed or something i don't know
0: just something unless he's just like uh, those kids are going to die <laughs> anyway oh, so
1: can i uh, have some more some more what? Death. Death. Oh, my God.
0: <laughs> anyway, Lucy, Lucy's not freaked the hell out, but it, instead is mostly just like, ah, oh, ah. It's like 90% of her character. And even when she sees a goat man wandering around with like a little umbrella. And I, I don't know about either of you gentlemen, but even if I stayed long enough to just be like, wow, like magical snow world. The second I saw a goat man, I'd be like, nope, like I'm out. Fuck that. I read the Goat Man Creepy Pasta. I'm fucking out of here. Yeah, we,
2: we are in the kingdom of Pan. There, no good can come <laughs> yeah. of this.
0: Yeah. yeah, I saw Pan's Labyrinth. My ass isn't staying here.
2: I do want to say if they re- if they did another Narnia today, I would love if if Mister Tumnus looked like Pan from Pan's Labyrinth. Like, make him terrifying. You know, make him genuinely terrifying.
0: I I would go with just a, a Guillermo del Toro uh, Narnia d- directed Narnia. That would, that would <laughs> probably be pretty sick. <laughs> I'd be into it. What about so? So, what about you, RJ? Would you uh? Would you be turned away by the goat man, or would you be intrigued?
1: I want to live deliciously.
0: <laughs> no, <not again. laughs> what is thou like to live deliciously?
1: Yeah, I'm, I'm, Let me get a suck on that udder of yours, big guy.
0: Okay, nope. He wouldn't have those. He's a goat man.
1: I have to say, Lucy, Lucy, in
2: all of the children's reactions to turning up in Narnia, is one of my problems with the story. Because they just completely accept it. Even Peter and Susan, who should be old enough to have a, a sort of Lovecraftian brain-melting experience, just sort of go, oh, I guess there's a world in the wardrobe. Uh, this is fine. Let's just move on with things.
0: We got places to be. We got stuff to do. Yeah. we I mean, not have I, a meltdown later. It's possible
2: that my expectations of wanting to see a complete mental breakdown, <laughs> like you know, maybe my... It's a 70-year-old it's a book, possibly my expectations are unrealistic, but that's what I wanted. I wanted a complete, complete emotional breakdown as their understanding of the universe is ripped to shreds.
0: I want to see these children just melt the fuck down. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, yeah, Lucy, Lucy's a little kid, so she's like, whatever, and, and she is intrigued by the goat man, and he's super excited to see her, and he's like, are you a daughter of Eve? Which... Just means, you know, like, human, but it sounds vaguely creepy when, like, someone's just going up to you like, are you a daughter of Eve? And it's like, sure. (laughs) Uh, And he says his name is Mr. Tumnus, and uh, he tells her she's in a place called Narnia, and she's just like, oh, this is amazing, I need to go back to the wardrobe and, like, tell my siblings. And Mr. Tumnus is like, no, come to my house and have tea with me instead. And Lucy's just like, (laughs) okay.
2: Again, to be fair, I feel like she's reacting the way possibly little girls around that time were kind of trained to react. Just be very polite. Don't say anything that could cause consternation. Just sort of say, yes, this is fine. You know, which is part of the fucking problem. But it's not super unrealistic.
0: That is, no, actually, that's a really good point. Like, um, I'm trying to ruin it by just being like, this kid's an idiot. You're coming in here with the good, like, this kid has been trained by the societal norms of the time to make bad decisions. (laughs) which is valid if only lucy knew about the the jj Bittenbinder method she'd know the dangers of being taken to a secondary location
1: <laughs> you gotta weigh down on your back it's just start like kicking her away <laughs> you gotta confuse kids. them street smarts street smarts although i like my method better where you just piss yourself shit yourself and you vomit all over yourself someone's <laughs> gonna want to deal with you <laughs>
2: Look, Narnia is in public domain now. We can rewrite this. We can. We can. The second Mr. Tumnus. We might have to. The second Mr. Tumnus emerges from the forest. She just pisses and shits herself.
0: (laughs) (laughs) She's like, stay away. And then Lucy proceeded to piss and shit her pants as she had learned from the John Mulaney sketch. I don't know you that's a my purse. purse i don't know you all right we're like three gags deep <laughs> <laughs>
1: yeah. so
0: so wouldn't you know it tom just drugs and hypnotizes her and with like a flute but then he starts crying and he admits that he's a spy for the evil white witch who rules narnia and makes it so that it's always winter but never christmas that monster <laughs> I don't know why. I mean, like it's obviously it just it just tickles me. It's like it's always winter, and it's never even Christmas. That bitch.
2: I can understand why Tolkien fucking hated this because <laughs> the the question like your daughter of, daughter of Eve is there an Adam and Eve in Narnia? Where does Christmas come from? Where the fuck does Christmas come from in Narnia? Megan, answer me this. <laughs> it doesn't make sense. You know, Tolkien <laughs> spent three years inventing a language. C.S. Lewis was just like, ah, eh, Christmas, this'll do. <laughs> you no, know? I
0: guess absolutely see Tolkien with his, like, maps and his, like, book-long extra histories that aren't even published with the rest of it, explaining the world, just being like, hey, Clive, fuck you.
2: <laughs> <laughs> I put Jesus in my story. <laughs>
0: <laughs> hey, he's a lion. <laughs>
2: yeah, I, I gave him
1: the wrong accent. Well-
0: <laughs> it's okay, I did, I did too. He's he's Irish. Oi, <laughs> oi.
1: <oy, laughs> no. He's He's a lion. <laughs>
0: <laughs> what the hell was
1: that now here's the thing this was one of the disagreements the two of them had made uh, tolkien very angry that tolkien you know was really pained to have to publish something it took him like two decades meanwhile this fucker over here is putting out a book every year just making it up as he goes <laughs> well, along well to be fair t- okay it did They're take C.S. Lewis ten, year. it took,
2: it took, 10 years to write The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, which is absolutely shameful. It should not have <laughs> taken him 10 years, but it did take him 10 years.
0: That is a very long time. Uh, yeah. Boy,
1: it took me 10 years. What voice is that? <laughs>
2: Hello, I'm from Northern Ireland. It
1: doesn't really... Yeah, it doesn't... What, Mike? You want a fight?
0: You're just... You're doing... If Goofy
1: was trying to do a British
0: accent and just doing a really shitty job.
2: I guess. None of us can do an Irish accent. None of us can do... My mom's Irish. I should be able to do one, but I can't. Like
0: there you h-doy, go it's,
1: it's the yeah, most I embarrassing for you <laughs>
0: or at least it was until he started doing the leprechaun voice. oh yeah
1: it's patrick day it's coming up yes we all have some this, yes oh h-doy, h-doy. you're gonna catch on me
0: lucky charm okay you know what i i think that so you sound so completely different i don't think someone who's irish can actually be offended by <laughs> because, <laughs> because you're doing such a wildly different accent but yeah, so so the white witch and and all of her evilness had decreed like if you, if you ever find a human kid, bring me them for what I'm sure is entirely non-creepy reasons. But uh Tumnus can't bring himself to go through with it and he takes her back to the wardrobe and uh, Lucy jumps back out and she's like, "I'm back." <laughs> the other kids are just like, "You were gone for 10 seconds. What the hell?" <laughs> Uh, And we get that, like, inevitable, like, I was in a magical fantasy land. And the older siblings are like, of course, yes, sure you were. And giving her, like, condescending little head pats. Except for Edmund, who's just a dick about it
2: for no reason. Thus setting the tradition for the rest of the book of Edmund being a complete dick for very Yeah. Oh, they sort of give him a reason at the end, I suppose, as an afterthought.
0: So a couple days later, they're they're playing hide and seek and Lucy goes back into the wardrobe and Edmund follows her in, hoping to make fun of her some more to make up for his own crippling insecurities, but instead finds himself stumbling into Narnia, unable to find Lucy. Instead, he finds...
1: Christianity.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I mean, yes, but not yet. That cat later on. He finds the White Witch. She pulls up on a sled, What I am assuming is a sled, because in the book it says a sledge, which I just assume is like a a Britishism, like when a flashlight's a torch and things like that.
2: Oh, I didn't know that that was a a difference in translation, torch and flashlight. Of course it is. I hadn't. Oh, yeah. When I was a
0: little kid and I'd be reading something that was like British or or just otherwise not American and they, but contemporary. And they would talk about characters having like, oh, go get the torch. And I'm picturing in my head like this big (laughs) stick on fire. Like, what the hell? (laughs) till I finally learned that that's like a regional thing <laughs> so she pulls up and sees Edmund and is like what are you and he's I love his response it's on vacation <laughs> <laughs> It's like, well, all right. Asked and answered. She she instead is like, well, are you like a weird hairless dwarf thing? And he's like, no, I'm a little human boy. And uh, her whole demeanor changes, and she's like, oh, neat. Hey, you you want some hot chocolate and some candy?
2: Again, would work on me.
0: Just like, boy, would I, strange woman. <laughs> And, uh, yeah, no, he goes for it, and then the candy is, is Turkish Delight, and I had no idea what the hell that could be when, when I was reading it as a kid, but I figured it must be, like, really fucking good candy for you to agree to betray your entire family for it.
2: Have you had Turkish Delight since then? No. You've never had Turkish Delight?
0: No, I I mean, I looked it up and saw that it's, like, a, a weird kind of, like, uh, sugar-dusted, like, jelly-ish... Yeah. Thing. Yeah, you yeah. can
2: you can buy Turkish Delight like all over the place in Britain, but the more I think about it though, it's such a bizarrely specific sweet to be able to buy that I think it must be entirely because of the cultural legacy of Narnia that you can buy it in places. You know, I love it. I love right. I love it every Christmas I get like a box of Turkish Delight and for me it's entirely because Narnia. But, yeah.
0: but would you betray your family for some
2: I mean I've never been put in the position where I had to make that decision but I have to assume yes uh, <laughs>
0: <laughs> this is very important for me to know as someone who has never had Turkish delight
2: <laughs> Oh I need to figure we need to figure out a way to get you some Turkish delight it's really really good
0: I'm sure we could probably find it here somewhere maybe
1: yeah, yeah there, there's uh, food markets around to tell this
0: okay all right. Yeah, so we we'll do, we'll do a follow up where we where we try Turkish delay and we come to a conclusion of whether or not we would betray our loved ones to get more. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, she tells him, you know, I'll I'll make you a king. I'll give you all the candy you could want if you just bring me your family. And he's like, well, why why do you want them? They suck. And she's just like reasons. <laughs> also, they're going to think I'm evil because a goat man said so. So you gotta trick them. Then Edmund's like, okay, more candy now, please. <laughs> There there's no internal struggle there at all. <laughs> like late, later on there is. Later on there is, but in that moment he's just like cool, neat, done.
2: I wish I wish they'd set it up lot. maybe it's just Expected, maybe it's just expected that a nine, ten, eleven year old boy would just be an absolute arsehole. Maybe that's they don't SCS Lewis just didn't think you needed to explain that. But he's so <laughs> incomprehensibly thoroughly unlikable, <laughs> you know? Especially compared yeah. to the rest of his siblings who are all really boring and lawful goods and yeah. Yes.
0: They're 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 perfect, they're boring none of them really grow or change throughout the course of the book. Like, Edmund is actually the one that, like, gets any character development.
2: He is the most interesting character. He's not an interesting character, but he's the most interesting character. <laughs> Alongside, you've got, you've got Mr. Tumnus, who does, like, one interesting thing, and you've got Aslan, who goes full Jesus off the top turnbuckle, and besides that, that's, that those are the only interesting characters you've got who do anything in the least bit interesting.
0: Pull Jesus off the top turnbuckle. <laughs> That's really good. Yeah, no, it's true uh, that he's not interesting, but in this story, he's the most interesting we've got. <laughs> like
2: Susan, for example. So we aren't at Susan, but what does Susan make a single decision for the entire book? Does she decide to do anything?
0: There, there's one moment coming up for, for a second where, where Susan suggests a thing that they don't do. <laughs>
2: <laughs> they're just like shut the fuck up Susie
0: <laughs> shut up so the, uh, the white witch leaves Edmund Lucy appears and, and she's just like, like oh Edmund now you can tell the others that like is real and apparently there's an evil witch running around and Edmund's like what nah.
2: that doesn't fit with my character alignment that's
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah I think she's cool So they go back through the wardrobe and and Lucy gets all excited and and tells, you know, Peter and Susan that Narnia is real. And shitty, shitty Edmund just fucking gaslights his little sister, his baby sister, and is just like, nah, like, we we were just pretending together. She she has such a wild imagination, like, (laughs) kids, you know. Lucy's obviously pretty upset by this for a while and nothing happens for a few days until, like, there's a contrived reason that they're all forced to, like, hide from tourists or something in in the wardrobe don't question it we got to get the kids to narnia so that shit could start happening they're they're just there now so they they pop out into narnia and uh peter and susan apologize to lucy for not believing her and also realize that edmund has been a lying little shit the whole time (laughs) and they get mad at him which kind of cements his decision to turn them over to an evil queen for candy Yep. <laughs> that's the impetus.
2: <laughs> I wish I had something more insightful to say, but that's... That C.S. Lewis was just like, good enough for me. I did it. I did character.
0: <laughs> <laughs> I did it, you guys.
1: <laughs> Nailed it.
0: <laughs> Jert, look at this. That's what he called him. His nickname was Jert. Jert. J.R.R. J- R- Tolkien. His friends called him Jert, as opposed to... What is it? J- Jolkin' Rolkin' Rolkin' Tolkien.
1: <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> <laughs> they wander around, and they, they try to find Mr. Tumness, but... His house has been trashed and there's a notice that he has been arrested by the secret police who were wolves, you know, just whimsy, for helping Lucy. And so Susan does, she does her one thing where she's like, okay, like, this is fun and all, but like, let's go home and not get magically murdered by an evil queen, which is probably the best idea that anyone's had in the whole book so far. So, of course, they ignore it. Yeah. And they say, shut up, Susan. I'm going to,
2: if it's okay with you, I want to skip right to the end of the entire Narnia series because this is, this is something that I'm going to keep coming back to is that Susan is never invited back to Narnia after this. She's the only person in the entire story who is never invited back. And the reasoning that Aslan gives is that she had become interested in boys and dresses and therefore she's not welcome in narnia anymore
0: that she she starts wearing makeup i remember that she starts wearing makeup and then it's just like oh yeah no she can't come back
2: and i can just (laughs) i can just sense like aslan being so mad that susan would be like this place seems really dangerous maybe we should leave and he'd be like you are not welcome in narnia (laughs) yeah
0: yeah so they 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 ignore her and uh they go hang out with some talking beavers and peter gibson
1: no he was the Beaver, though.
0: Y- yes, I guess. I don't think anyone remembers that movie but you.
2: Oh, wait, 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 wait. wait. Uh, no, I do remember this. Was this, so the, the Beaver was like when, in that period of time where Mel Gibson was like the go-to romantic comedy guy, wasn't it? No. this there was his comeback movie. Yeah, this
0: was his comeback. This was his, after being shunned for being outed as just, you know, a, a complete absolute fuckface. Jodie Foster went, no, no. I can save this one, and she directed it. It's this absolutely fucking terrible movie where he plays this guy who's suffering from like severe depression, and randomly, like his outlet becomes that he makes this little beaver hand puppet, and the puppet basically is a way for him to like do like this sort of like positive self talk kind of thing. Freedom. <laughs> Like, it's almost kind of quirky enough that I'm like, all right, you know, I guess that's his coping mechanism. It doesn't hurt anyone. Like, he starts to get better. His whole family treats him like shit. They're like, this is so embarrassing and terrible, and your beaver hand puppet is tearing this family apart. It's a wild goddamn movie.
2: uh, Yeah, it sounds like the kind of, like, sister movie to Lars and the Real Girl in a weird way. Oh, shit, who was in fucking Lars and the Real Girl? Gosling. Gosling, thank you very much. Yeah, the one where Ryan Gosling falls in love with a sex doll.
1: Oh, different. Gosling uses his penis. Mel Gibson uses his hand. Anyway, back to these talking beavers who maybe have a hand up their ass.
0: (laughs) Oh dear lord. So Lucy, Lucy's just you know like everything else. Yes, I trust these beavers with my life, even though they've given me absolutely no reason to do so, and may in fact just be planning to murder us and hide our bodies in their dam. And I mean they don't, but like you know, they could have
2: that's a good point so far they've been we're gonna take ages to get through this i'm so sorry but so far <laughs> we've, we've encountered two characters one of which tried to drug and kidnap lucy and the other of which was almost certainly going to murder edmund and then they meet a third creature and they're like this one we can definitely <laughs> trust
0: i got a good feeling about these beavers you guys third
2: time lucky let's go
0: So they go to their little house, and and Mr. Beaver tells them that Aslan is on the move. And while none of the kids know, like, what the hell that means, they all feel these really strong, positive emotions about it. Except Edmund, who feels freaked the fuck out. They have tea with the Beavers, and they talk about how Aslan is back, and he's gonna wreck the White Witch's shit. And the kids are like, this Aslan sounds like a cool guy. And Mr. Beaver's like, oh, no, no, he's not a guy. He's a giant lion, and Susan again. Susan, you know, for all that we were just making fun of Susan for not having a personality, she's the one who's like, "That that sounds kind of scary." <laughs> and Mister Beaver says my favorite thing, where he's like, "Yeah, Aslan's not really safe, but he is good."
2: You know what? This is this is this is <laughs> making me appreciate Susan a lot more.
0: <laughs> we're gonna come back around on Susan.
2: Yeah, exactly. Under
0: underappreciated, underrated. Uh yeah no Aslan's good so he probably won't tear your face off it'll be great
2: 50/50 chance it's good enough <laughs>
0: And then uh, he tells them tomorrow that uh, they're going to go off, all of them together, and they're going to meet Aslan at this place called the Stone Table. And then the, the Beavers tell the kids that the reason the White Witch has such a hard-on for hunting them down is because there's also a prophecy that when two daughters of Eve and sons of Atom... A- Adam, Atom. <laughs>
1: <laughs> up in Atom.
0: Up and Atom. Up uh, and Atom. Sit on a magical throne, the White Witch will be destroyed and then Lucy finally notices that Edmund has like fucked off like an hour ago like wait, wait a minute no no one said anything dickish in a while now <laughs>
2: I actually i really like that i think i think that's one of the things that they do really really well is you realize that edmund hasn't said anything for about four pages and oh it's because he's fucked off to sell them out i really think that's well done (laughs) good for you c.s lewis you did a thing
0: you did it and so yeah as soon as they notice that like apropos of nothing mr beaver's like oh yep he's gone to betray your guys to the to the white witch a thousand percent which i mean he's not wrong but what is he basing this off of he doesn't know this kid
2: he says he's basing it off of the weird look in his eye which is like that's, I think he's literally what he says he's like yeah he's got that look he's a wrongin <laughs> Mr Beaver had to had to convince Mrs Beaver not to just cut uh Edmund's throat as soon as she saw him
0: <laughs> I think Mr Beaver might be racist or speciesist as <sighs> Mr the case, Beaver's maybe. so racist <laughs> But Edmund did in fact run off to the White Witch's castle to, to betray his siblings. And her, her courtyard is full of creatures that she has turned to stone. And instead of this scaring him or maybe like kind of giving him a heads up that you know, she might not be great. He, he takes out a pencil that he just happened to have, and he draws shit on, like, all the statues' faces, like, mustaches and stuff. Because he's such a little fucker.
1: It's like Hamilton the dog. <laughs> Hamilton the hipster dog.
0: That was a cat. Cat. It happened a half hour ago, and you forgot already. Fuck you. <laughs> uh, so a wolf comes and takes him to the White Witch, and she's super pissed that he's come alone, but he immediately rolls over on the other kids and also tells her the Aslan rumors. And it's just like, okay, more candy now, please. And she's like, ah, no, it's prison time for you. She tosses him in a little stone prison cell, and Edmund's like, so, so no, no more, no more candy? It's, it's finally, slowly starting to sink in that he may have made a mistake. <laughs> Potentially. <laughs> That's
2: the character beat. He's like, oh yeah, no more candy. Possibly she's evil. <laughs>
0: Meanwhile, uh, the other kids and the beavers start making the trek to the stone table to meet Aslan, and they see that their presence in Narnia is starting to break the witch's spell. And then Santa comes! God. Yeah, I'd completely
2: oh. forgotten about the Santa thing.
0: Oh, how could you forget? That was one of the big things that I remembered, because... What, what gifts does Santa have for the Pevensie children?
2: Is it a ticket home?
0: No. Is it a map?
2: Stick in a box?
0: No it's weapons
2: (laughs) yay weapons and drugs
0: (laughs) yep that's a kick-ass santa and like the weapons are metaphors or whatever like who gives a shit He, he he still gives peter a fucking sword he's just like here's a sword you're 14 so susan gets a bow and arrow lucy gets a dagger and magical plot convenient healing potion
2: the dagger is my favorite because, you know, a bow and arrow, that's from a distance. A sword is from a distance.
0: What's Lucy going to do? Is Lucy just going to shiv someone?
2: <laughs> <laughs> like it's, it's so up close and personal.
0: I think of like the the movie version of Lucy who is just so little, just walking around and just shanking people. <laughs> In the meantime, the witch gets back out on her sled to uh, track the kids down, and she brings Edmund with her. And I don't understand why. It seems like it would make more sense to keep him in her castle and separate from the siblings, so that she could keep the prophecy from being fulfilled.
2: Yeah, that makes sense. Whatever. This is why her reign is failing. She does. She's. Yeah. <laughs> she's a bad she's leader. She's kind of
0: dumb. <laughs> and so the uh, the snow starts melting, and so they can't even do the sled anymore. They got to walk. And the White Witch is getting, like, more and more pissed off. And she says if anyone even mentions the word, like, Aslan, she's gonna fucking kill them. Which leads me to my next point. Why not just kill Edmund? She got what she needed from him. If, if she kills him, then there's no way the prophecy can be fulfilled. And now, like, eventually she does figure that out, but way further down the road oh my god she's completely useless
2: she got she got into office based solely on her always winter never christmas (laughs) campaign slogan
0: (laughs) her platform yeah she
2: held that referendum and it got through and then she was like well that's all i've got
0: (laughs) i really don't have much more beyond that here are my wolves why doesn't she (laughs) just kill edmund i've never thought about
2: it why doesn't she just kill edmund
0: that's so stupid. She has no reason for keeping him alive as long as she does.
2: You should have taken another 10 years to work on this. <laughs> it needed another 10 years
0: work. <laughs> so the uh, the rest of the kids make to the stone table and they meet Aslan, surrounded by like a whole bunch of other fantasy creatures and animals. And he is indeed a big scary lion. And he's just like, sup, kids. It, it, and there's supposed to be four of you. And Peter's just like, no, who cares? He sucks. And Aslan's like, that, that might be a problem because like we need four of you. And then a wolf comes to attack and Peter stabs it to death and he loses his childly innocence and then Aslan says you're a knight now <laughs> you committed a murder
2: <laughs> I am ju- I'm the judge dread of this universe i get to decide <laughs> <I'm the> judge <laughs> this jury executioner
0: Decide who lives and who dies.
2: Actually, I think we're being unfair. I think he accidentally kills the wolf. I think that's what happens. I think the wolf, like, jumps on him and Peter sort of holds and, the yeah, sword. And, like, yeah, like, it just
0: kind of lands on the sword. Like, he doesn't have bloodlust or anything. <laughs> <laughs> so while well, while this is happening, it does finally occur to the witch, like, oh, I can just kill this kid. And so she ties him up and, and she's going to do it when suddenly, conveniently, he's rescued by uh, Aslan's uh, magical animal army. And they bring him back to the rest of the gang. And and then Edmund has literally a come-to-Jesus moment (laughs) as Aslan takes him aside and they have a conversation that we don't get to hear. But afterwards, he's he's a good boy and no longer a little bastard.
2: Yeah, so side note the one the one thing that i was told about edmund's character that shed a bit more light on it for me was that they refer to edmund as not being the same since he went to that boarding school and then what rj was saying earlier on about cs lewis having to go to a boarding school when he was a kid like i've got a note of it here somewhere i he he literally likes shit
0: that's right they they do mention the boarding school thing i did forget that
2: and it was run he the guy was certified as insane quote unquote but by the time that c.s lewis had gone there he'd already been prosecuted for abusing students and was still allowed to run the school so i think c.s lewis might have had a very bad time there and become an atheist i'm getting that vibe and edmund like there's definitely a parallel to be drawn there and i can sort of that that makes it easier for me to sympathize with with edmund i think
0: yeah now i feel bad for all of those mean things i said about him
2: oh he was being a complete dick because
0: he was traumatized probably but Aslan, Aslan fixes all of that, except then the uh, the White Witch appears and is like, hey, give me that kid back. I need to murder him. The, the deep magic laws of Narnia say I'm allowed to murder him. <laughs> and, and instead of just, you know, tearing her fucking face off like a lion might do, he's like, "Hmm, yes, deep magic. Well, all right. Instead of Edmund, you can kill me. Which is dumb.
2: It's really dumb, especially since two chapters later, he does just rip her face off. <laughs> Aslan does it's just- It's true! Yeah, he just rips her throat out, and he's like, could have done this a long time ago. It would have made my life a lot easier.
0: It would have been much simpler. But instead, no, she she does kill him, but she, she shaves him first, because she wants to make him feel bad. So she just she cuts all his hair off, just to be an asshole, you know. And then if she's about to stab him, she's also like, you know, bt dubs. I'm still going to kill those kids and rule Narnia. Fuck you, scrub. And then she wop just... <laughs> Womp womp. <laughs> so then Susan and Lucy, who I forgot to say, like they, they walk with Aslan as he's going to his death. And he's like, you know, thank you for your company, but also you might not want to watch this go down. But they do. And then when the White Witch leaves, they like run out and they weep over his body. And they do it for a while. Like, I'll say this about C.S. Lewis. He really milks this whole like, nah, guys, this lion is totally soups dead for realsies, y'all. Yeah. He hangs in.
2: I have to imagine that at this point, C.S. Lewis was having to edit out susan saying every two minutes we're literally going to die here we shouldn't be here we could leave at any moment <laughs> like what well, well, you know he had to edit all of those lines out because she is the voice of reason good old susan
0: and we, we can't have that <laughs> no no Eventually, finally, he quits fucking around and Aslan is back to life and better than ever. And uh, he tells the girls that there is an even deeper magic. Like there's the deep magic and then there's the deeper magic. Be- no, but below. But I just tried to say beneath and below at the same time. <laughs> but know that magic. <laughs> and the White Witch doesn't know about that magic and it says that if- Oh uh... no, because
1: it's the magic of the dark side. <laughs>
0: Have I ever told you the tale of Doth Aslan? <laughs> <laughs> um, You're arrogant. <laughs> You're arrogant. <laughs> so the, the White Witch doesn't know about that magic, and it says that if a willing, innocent victim is sacrificed on the stone table, that they'll come back to life stronger than ever. So really, Aslan only died for Edmund's sins because he knew all of this. So can we really count it as like a noble sacrifice when he knew that he would come back to life leveled up? That's my big question.
2: That is true. I mean, he could have said to Susan and Lucy, just hang out here for like an hour. I'll be back. Everything's going to be fine.
1: But is he circumcised?
0: You know what? You try and circumcise a lion. Get back to me on that. So anyway, even though there's like a whole magical fucking war that's like about to break out, Aslan and the other girls like play tag for a while. Like they frolic and shit. And, and then uh, he's just goes, ride me. And they do. And they go to the White Witch's castle where Aslan breaks the curse on all of the, the statues that she made by breathing on them. He just walks up. and He's just like, ah! and then they're okay.
1: <laughs> you sure he didn't breathe with his ass?
0: Yeah, he farts on them. <laughs> and then they're, thank you. I'm sure everybody's gonna love getting that right in the ears. <laughs> so so after doing all that, after frolicking, after playing, after farting, he's like, oh yeah, I guess we should go make sure your brothers aren't like killed in battle or something. And, and they arrive just in time to see this uh, massive fight between the witch's minions and the magic-talking animals. And also to see Edmund get mortally wounded. But it's okay, because Lucy revives him with her healing potion. But it's good because he's he's redeemed now because he got stabbed real good and uh, Aslan tears the White Witch's throne out, which, as you as you quite astutely said, would have made everyone's lives a lot fucking easier if he'd just done that to begin with.
2: He had to establish dominance first.
0: And the day is saved, and then the Pevensey kids take the throne as kings and queens, even though the oldest one is like fourteen. <laughs> They're going to be great at ruling an entire country.
2: This is like the weird sort of inherent racism of the story. It's like they're humans and therefore they have more value than literally everybody in Narnia. It's such a bizarre idea.
0: It does uh, have those great colonialist undertones. We just wandered into this country and now we rule it. Because we're British and white.
2: <laughs> it turns out they're n- well. Exa- the white is is really important. It turns out they're not even the only humans in Narnia. There's Calormene, I think it's called, which is a nation right next to Narnia, full of fucking humans, but they just happen to not be white, and it's very <laughs> unfortunate. And Nar- like Aslan just doesn't recognize them. And then when, at the end of the series, when the world when the world ends, they're just tossed into the fucking pit of fire as the prophecy foretold. <laughs> it's just so bizarre. Holy
0: shit. Yeah. That's real bad, Clive Staples. <laughs> but uh yeah, so those kids ruled Narnia and I guess they don't fuck it up because they end up living their whole lives in Narnia and, you know, going, I decide who lives and who dies. <laughs> well,
2: because there's no one to replace them. No. <laughs> yeah. It was a complete dictatorship.
0: And it, like, they also, I guess, never have like sex or anything because. Oh, shit. Yeah, um, unless one of them is boning down on, like, a centaur,
2: maybe? Oh, no, wait a is second. Is that,
0: like, the closest thing?
2: In A Horse and His Boy, they go to the- No, don't-
0: I just said bone down on a centaur, the first thing you say
2: <laughs> is A Horse and His boy. No, in a, horse, in a Horse and His Boy, they go to the, the land of the not-white people, and Susan starts- it, it, it's hinted, I think, that Susan has some sort of long-standing affair with one of the not-white people. Another reason she's not welcome back in Narnia.
0: <laughs> Holy shit, man! I've I've done a full one eighty on making fun of Susan. <laughs> but yeah, so they they grow up. Maybe Susan gets to bang things because she's not terrible, but no one else does. And then one day they're uh, they're hunting a magical white stag. And they find themselves back in that that clearing at the entrance to the wardrobe. And, like, they don't even really remember their old lives at all. They're just like, this seems kind of familiar. And they go through it out of curiosity. And they find themselves dumped back out again in the professor's house. And they're kids again, which I'm sure isn't super frustrating even a little. (laughs) The end. The end, yeah.
2: (laughs) Does that mean that they just walk out of that room... Like, 40-year-olds in the body of children.
0: Yeah, because I I do remember in in the ensuing books that they remember their time ruling Narnia. Yeah. So, like, by the time they're, like, going through, you know, in their 20s, they're, like, they got the brains of, like, (laughs) 60-year-olds. All right, so let's get into adaptations. So there's... there's all the the things there's the porn there's the radio play is
2: there the porn is there Narnia porn
0: there's porn of everything I gotta believe and to Google he goes Um, (laughs) there's apparently a stage play that involves only two actors and I didn't look super deep into it but I am curious how the hell that works and then there was the animated movie from 1979 that we mentioned before
2: which I do love that was, was one of my earliest memories is watching a VHS recording of that Oh, wow. Yeah. Have you watched it in living memory? Like, how well do you remember it?
0: It was funny. I I re I looked it up on YouTube uh, before recording this because I was curious because for whatever reason, like I said, I must have been maybe eight and I'd only seen it the once, but I forgot everything else except Edmund walking through the, the castle for the first time and seeing all the statues and then he sees a lion statue and he thinks it's Aslan. And he looks at it and he goes, oh, who's afraid of Aslan? <laughs> And for whatever reason, that stayed locked in my brain.
2: <laughs> <laughs> the, yeah, the weird chunky lion. What I really love, and like, we should, you should, we should link it in the Facebook group after this, is the the Mister Tumnus's date rape hypnotism scene, which is just insanely psychedelic
0: yeah no it's very 1970s <laughs> yeah
2: unfortunately the youtube video is like out of sync the audio is out of sync by like a second so it's difficult to watch but that sequence it just makes that sequence even weirder
0: all right go ahead have you found
2: a porn after
1: a google search there's definitely an arnie of porn
2: oh uh, oh no
0: <laughs> you know what i don't want to know any more than that um... it
1: focuses really on um the white witch in the kids Oh, oh, dear. Oh, no,
0: no. Oh, they're grown up. I don't. Okay, nope. Gross. Bad. <laughs> Let's talk about the 2005 movie. Yeah.
2: And then privately, we can work in our white witch, Aslan. slash.
0: Yes. <laughs> well, see, what I have written here is that between <laughs> Majestic <laughs> Lion Liam Neeson and Soft Goat Boy James McAvoy, this movie was. Definitely the sexual awakening for at least a few young furries. I am
2: never going to be able to he- see James McAvoy without hearing the full sentence, soft goat boy, James McAvoy. <laughs> that's stuck now.
0: It also, it has ethereal, timeless elder being, Tilda Swinton, as the White oh, Witch.
2: Sorry, I love Tilda Swinton.
0: And se- several bland but serviceable British child actors, none of who would go on to have film careers after the series. Oh,
2: yeah, that's unfortunate.
0: <laughs> yeah, Ed- Edmund, actually, the, uh wow nope why the fuck would you show me that oh my god what are
2: you all right
0: (laughs) for for those at home are you are you watching the trailer for prince caspian
2: because i had that i had that reaction as well (laughs)
0: look ben barnes is dreaming no um whoa okay he's showing me rj is showing me like some kind of deviant art furry porn of one is just the lion jacking <laughs> off and the other is the lion and the witch it's aslan and the witch having sex
2: you know i'd be more surprised if that didn't exist i'm not, <laughs> I'm not surprised in it's true i mean
0: every it, 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 of course it exists but i don't need to see it also you're just gonna have a great internet search history but yeah no so the, the kid who played edmund in the movies he's a political advisor now he's like 27 28 and that's what he does wow okay yeah, I don't know why I find that funny. I just kind of do that. It's like, yes, I was a, I was in the uh, Narnia films as a child, and now I do politics. Oh God, it must be
2: awful to be like because like, if you met him, you'd be like, don't don't mention it, don't don't talk about Narnia, yeah, exactly. don't talk like, about Narnia,
0: don't bring up I mean, don't bring it up because he still looks. I I looked up a picture of what he looks like now because I had to, and he still is very recognizably the same guy. So like, so I weird. would see him, and I, I would immediately just be like, it's Edmund. I mean, no, I mean, sir, I mean. <laughs> But yeah, no, the only other one is that the actor who played Peter is still kind of in some things, but it's movies like Friend Request, which has the tagline, Death is Trending. So, all right, that's it. As far as adaptations are concerned, that's it. I mean, there are the, the sequel movies, but we're not talking about those books. We're talking about Lion, Witch, and the Wardrobe. But yeah, no, so that takes us to the part of the show, this, this part of the show where we do the thing, and... We will we will have very good, well thought out things to say. But before we get to those things, hey RJ, up? The Lion, the Witch, the Wardrobe, the Man, the Myth, the Legend. Now that you've you've heard the whole tale, yep, and apparently looked up all the porn.
1: <laughs> yeah, I'm very I'm very pro on Aslan.
0: <laughs> good or bad?
1: Oh, horny. <laughs> <laughs>
0: <laughs> all right, that's what we got from this. Uh, RJ's a furry. He wants to fuck lion Jesus. Word. This episode is gonna send us to hell.
1: <laughs> After doing some research here, he wore a yarmulke and was circumcised.
0: How do you circumcise a lion?
1: They never explained what his penis looked like. Very human. In penis. that, I was
0: gonna say, in the picture that you flashed in front of me without my consent, it, it was basically a human dick. Uh,
1: trigger warning.
0: <laughs> well, we're not showing Triggered. it to anybody. I was like, don't, don't Google it. Unless you're into that, <laughs> no kick shame,
1: I mean, I guess it's interesting that both him and Tolkien come up with these stories of fantastical lands in the middle of World War One and World War two. Good escapism,
0: just Good. wildly different escapism is it though? well, they both have problematic, potentially racist undertones so There's undertones. that
1: <laughs> or overtones as it were,
0: yeah those tones are definitely over. they're yeah. not under anything,
1: <laughs> hey, Megan. Yeah, RJ. Chronicles of Narnia, part one.
0: Technically, no, but sure.
1: Part whatever.
0: You gonna say what it's called or
1: why Lion. <laughs> Which wardrobe? Your thoughts. Um. Good. <laughs> or gooder. Yeah. Or <laughs> bad.
0: Okay, so I don't really know if I could make like a, a good sort of judgment call here because like I liked them well enough as a kid it was fine I, I think I read most of the stories uh and yeah it was like a, a, a fun kind of fantasy thing there's a big lion evil witch kind of things you would expect in a kid's story there are a lot of stories that I read as a kid that I come back to as an adult and it's still Like, I'm rereading it like, yes, like, this is still, like, something that is really important to me and still kind of transports me in the same way, even if it is intended for, like, a younger audience. I didn't get that with this. There was no, like, let's return to Narnia. It was more just, like, you are all annoying. So, I'm going to give this a solid.
2: Yeah.
0: Hey, Matt. Yep. Lions, witches, and wardrobes. Oh, my. (laughs) Good or bad?
2: (sighs) I knew I didn't want to go back and read the book because I knew I was not going to like it. <laughs> I knew because... Oh, like, am
0: sorry. No, no like,
2: like, let, like, let me make it sadder. Like, I'm 32 years old and it's really difficult to kind of find that feeling of magic in my day-to-day life anymore and Narnia always felt sort of magic to me.
0: <laughs> and now we've ruined that forever.
2: I think I went back and read The Magician's Nephew a couple of years ago. but And that's that held up. I like The Magician's Nephew. But it was like you were saying, some books you go back to and they, they really hold up. His Dark Materials trilogy really holds up. Like, that gets better the older I get. I love that series.
0: Oh, yeah, that's one where... It's like a fun adventure that you go back you're like, oh, there's some fucked up shit going on in here. Well, exactly,
2: because it seemed like Philip Pullman was thinking critically about his world. Would I recommend this book to anybody if they hadn't read it already? No, not really. I think it's like a cultural artifact at this point. I think it's a bad story. I'm coming off a lot harsher on this than I thought I would. <laughs> <laughs> It just reads like propaganda. It reads... His Dark Materials is propaganda as well. Like, that's like... That's like atheist propaganda.
0: It absolutely is. But the world that it's in is more fun and the characters are more interesting. Well,
2: exactly. There's something really shallow and uncharismatic about the way that C.S. Lewis seems so convinced about the virtue of the rightness of his agenda. Like, he just didn't put much effort. He created this wonderful world and it doesn't seem like he really understands that world or how to explore it. Like, he's like, here is good. Here is evil, and these things are self-evident, and no one really questions it. There's no question in your mind whether Aslan is good or not, and he's just inherently. Unless,
0: unless you're Susan, and then you're not allowed to come back to nardia
2: Well, yeah, there's like a token, but maybe he's scary. Like whereas Philip Pullman, it's a, it's an unfair comparison, but Philip Pullman, like you're never really, with the exception of Lyra, everybody else. Is sort of up for debate whether or not they're a force for good or a force for bad and i think if you're going to do a piece of propaganda you at least owe your reader an interesting journey and i don't think the line the witch in the wardrobe is an interesting journey i think it's a, i think it's a bad story and i have died a little bit inside having to say that out loud <laughs>
0: you okay you have lost your innocence but now you are more fully an adult and now we can dub you a knight
2: (laughs) (laughs) yeah uh yeah the line the witch in the wardrobe rushed me and i accidentally killed it with my sword
0: there you go yeah you didn't intend to but it happened yeah
2: i but the thing is i love the world and i think uh, the voyage of the dawn treader was always my favorite and now i know for certain i'm never going to go back and reread that because i can't have that taken away from me i loved it i loved it that's fair yeah exactly that's
0: valid all right and so that will about do it for this episode of oh no Lit class thank you so much for coming on matt um and put and putting up with this <laughs>
2: yeah it was a pleasure to be in to to be involved and to to see behind the scenes
0: all right so one more time yeah what what what, is, what are do, do? Matt, what do you even do?
2: I'm a I'm a musician, sort of. I, I make stories. I do a sort of a, a mix of spoken word and music and you can, if you look up The Narcissist Cookbook, you will find me. I've got a video on YouTube called Courtney that did pretty well and I've got a couple of albums on Spotify and Bandcamp and iTunes that did pretty well and if you really, really, really want to get in touch with me, and can get in touch with me via Facebook. Um, just look up The Narcissist Cookbook and you will find me. So yeah.
0: Alright then. If if you want to find us, go to at RJ. Uh, what was it? At under RJ underscore Ono Lit Class. Yeah. Yeah, and just just tweet tweet things at him. Anything you want to tweet the show, tweet at him instead of anything we said in this episode that upset you. If you like the show, rate, review, tell your friends, tell your family, tell strangers that you meet in the street who invite you to their homes for tea.
1: Subscribe, unsubscribe, resubscribe
0: we made that joke already oh
1: keep doing it it so works
0: keep doing that and uh know that you can always listen at oh no lick don't actually listen
1: you don't need to listen just keep subscribing and resubscribing rj doesn't
0: listen yeah i don't
1: listen
2: oh can i say hello to your, your is it your icelandic listener
0: oh yeah yeah of course uh Reykjavik listener
2: hello uh listener in Reykjavik. i hope you're having a good day that shirt's really nice <laughs> did you get a haircut
0: <laughs> you're looking good Reykjavik listener The next episode will be on April 18th. Until then, I'm Megan. I'm
1: Mr. Worldwide. Still taller than Napoleon RJ.
2: I'm Matt, and this is my uh, sign-off. Matt. (laughs) (laughs) Matt's gone. We love you. I don't know why we blame it on her. It seems easy to say Corny Love is capable of murder, but I haven't much of anything to back that up. I might be going out on a limb here, button. I think society doesn't seem to like women at the best of times. But we really get mad when they fuck our rock stars, you know? Kirk Cobain belongs to us, we crowd, so naturally when he died, everybody said corny did it. She did it, Courtney did it, a corny kill Cobain. She did it, Courtney did it, Courtney
0: This is the kind of shit that gets cut.
2: I'm going to start like my own, like the talking dead kind of parallel podcast. Just going to be called uh, footnotes and it's going to be all of the stuff, the horrible shit (laughs) you cut out.